You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Well, good morning, and thank you for joining us in worship. Last week, we launched a new series in the book of Habakkuk. We titled this series, When God Does Not Make Sense, The Gospel According to Habakkuk. My topic this morning, learning to wait on the Lord. And I trust it'll be a relevant topic for all ages. My first encounter with waiting on the Lord came early on in my faith journey. I became a Christian when I was 19 And about four years after that, I sensed a call for uh, overseas vocational missions. And so the plan was pretty simple. I would invest two and a half years in training, uh, and part of that training was a two-year stint with an organization known as YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And uh, we would go out on mercy ships, port to port, uh, serve the Lord, share the gospel, and uh, just, just give. And so two weeks out... Uh, before departure, sold my home, quit my job. While playing soccer, I broke my leg. I broke my tibia and my fibula right in half. And I had this huge cast. Well, come to find out, because of the nature of the mercy ships and how hands-on the program was, I could not go with YWAM. And I'll tell you something, that crushed me because I felt a little bit like Isaiah. Here I am, Lord, send me. I was single, I was free, I just wanted to go and serve. Well, that sovereign act of God placed me in a waiting room for many months. And I learned a great lesson, that waiting is a spiritual discipline that is often very difficult. So may I ask, how do you feel about waiting. Do you enjoy a nice long wait? You know, I put waiting, generally speaking, into two categories. And the first one is what I would call casual waiting. So picture yourself, you're at the stoplight, it's red, there's a car in front of you, it turns green, and then what do you have? You have an accelerated challenge driver in front of you. The light's green, they don't move, how do you feel? You know, today with COVID-19, there's a little bit more waiting. We have students waiting to see their friends or, or boyfriend or girlfriend. We have kids waiting to get back onto the athletic field. Some of us are still waiting for our stimulus checks. But there's another kind of waiting that I would call a bit more serious or complex. There's a waiting of a single person to see if God has marriage in store for him or her. There's the waiting of a childless couple who desperately wants to have children and experience that blessing in life. There's the waiting for some who long for uh, employment that is purposeful and meaningful. Then there's the waiting of the doctor's report. Is the cancer malignant or benign? And then there's the waiting of a spouse who's eagerly waiting transformation and renewal and hope in a failing marriage. Forty-three times in the Old Testament alone, God calls his people to wait, to long for. 
Now, I want to take a moment and define waiting because sometimes we hear people say this, hey, I'm just waiting on the Lord, and sometimes it's just an excuse for not being proactive, for not being responsible, and for not engaging. Here's what we're going to discover from Habakkuk. We're going to learn today that biblical waiting is not a passive activity, but rather it is an active engagement that is an important part of our prayer life, going back to next week, learning to dialogue with God. And so we're still in this idea of Habakkuk's crying out to the Lord. He's got questions. He's dialoguing. God's responding. And part of listening to the Lord Part of hearing his voice is waiting, waiting in silence for the Lord to speak. I certainly hope you have downloaded the digital worship guide. We always have a sermon outline uh, in there for you, and I like to start with the blessing, and it is this. Because waiting is a spiritual discipline, each one of us must choose to wait on the Lord. There's so much you could say about this topic, but for these four verses in Habakkuk chapter 2, I've limited the talk to three choices that Habakkuk made. Choice number one, wait with a patient trust. Look at Habakkuk chapter 2, the first three verses, please. We read, I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. The Lord answered me, write down this vision clearly, inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, next phrase is crucial, wait for it since it will certainly come and not be late. In chapter 2, God responds to Habakkuk's second inquiry, and he clarifies his plans and purposes for using a wicked empire, Babylon, and a prideful king, Nebuchadnezzar, to accomplish his plans and purposes. However, God also instructs Habakkuk that you're going to have to wait to see his plans and purposes unfold. Waiting, I would contend, is the hardest work of hope. Why? Because our natural inclinations is to not wait or to be patient, but rather to take matters into our own hands. Are you familiar with the great patriarch Abraham and his wife Sarah and their story? It's real interesting, Genesis chapter 11, Genesis 12. In their latter years of marriage, God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you with children. And what happens? Time passes. And no pregnancy. And they're wondering if God's promise will come true in their life. But sadly, Sarah couldn't wait. And she concocted a plan to intercept God's will and do her own thing. And so we find that uh, plan recorded in Genesis chapter 16, verses 3 through 6. Follow along with me, please. So Abram's wife, Sarah, took Hagar, 
her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan 10 years. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. When she realized that she was pregnant, she treated her mistress with contempt. Then Sarah said to Abram, You are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms. And ever since she saw that she was pregnant, she has treated me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me and you, Abram replied to Sarah. Here, your slave is in your hands. Do whatever you want with her. Then Sarah mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. So after a decade of waiting on God to fulfill his promise, Abraham and Sarah's distrust of God created a lose-lose proposition that resulted in all kinds of relational strife, envy, mistreatment, and then abandonment. Why is waiting so difficult? Simply because we have to relinquish control over our circumstances and develop a patient trust in the Lord. A very familiar verse from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 helps us greatly. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own understanding. Think about him in all your ways, and what's going to happen? He will guide you on the right paths. One of my first jobs uh, as a teenager was so much fun. I had the privilege to work with Ringley Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus. And there is a marvelous lesson on patient trust that we can learn from the trapeze artist. There's a very special relationship between the flyer and the catcher on the trapeze. The flyer is the one who lets go, and the catcher, of course, is the one who catches. When the flyer is swinging high above the crowd on the trapeze, the moment comes when he must exercise a patient trust in the catcher. The flyer arcs out into the air, and his job is to remain as still as possible to wait for the strong hands of the catcher to literally pluck him from the air. The flyer must never try to catch the catcher. The flyer must wait in absolute trust for the catcher to do his job. I love that picture. So God's role, if we can make the analogy, is the catcher. What is our role? To patiently trust in him. God responds to Habakkuk's question saying, wait patiently, trust me, because my plans and my purposes will come to pass in my time, Habakkuk. Some of you are waiting this morning and maybe in a vulnerable moment right now because it's really, really hard to wait. God's calling you to trust him, maybe with a relationship. You could be watching this morning and single and feel like taking matters into your own hands. I plead with you, Trust God. Be patient. Let his will work out. Don't take hold of the situation. For others, God is calling you to be patient with the salvation of a spouse, a family member, a child, a friend, someone you deeply love. 
And still others, God is calling you to trust him, maybe with employment and finance, as we navigate this difficult season of COVID-19. If it feels like taking control and grabbing hold of the situation, can I encourage you folks? Take your cues from the flyer and trust the catcher. His hands are strong. He will never let go of you. And his word can be trusted. The prophet Isaiah provides some air support for those struggling to trust in the Lord. In Isaiah 64, 4, we read this, and it's a beautiful, beautiful verse. From ancient times, no one has heard, no one has listened, no eye has seen any God except you. And notice this next phrase, who acts on behalf of the one who waits for him. Friends, that is exactly what God did for Habakkuk. God acted in his perfect timing. And I promise you, according to Scripture, when we wait on the Lord, when we have a patient trust in him, he will act on our behalf because he loves us. Choice number two, wait, purposing to gain perspective. Look again at verse 1, chapter 2. And notice the imagery here. It's powerful imagery. Habakkuk says, I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. And so try to picture in your mind's eye what Habakkuk does. He goes up into a tower. Now I want to show you a picture of one of the most famous towers in all the world. It's called the London Tower. I visited here uh, a few years back, and it's just a fascinating place. It goes all the way back to 1070 AD when William the Conqueror conquered. It's in the heart of London. It's right on the Thames River. But why a tower in the heart of London on the river? Well, it's real simple, folks. You go up into the tower, and you get a perspective that you cannot see from ground level. You get a 360. You can see what's coming from north, south, east, west. If there are enemies on the horizon, you can prepare yourself, you can protect yourself. And here's what happens in Habakkuk's life when he goes up into the tower. He goes up, he gets away from distractions. He gets away from people, from the noise of this life. He goes up into the tower to do what? to see, to watch expectantly, believing that God was going to speak. He goes up to listen, and he listens in silence, which is so hard for most people. But Psalm 37, 7 states, be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. That's why Habakkuk's in the tower. It's a time of silence and solitude. It's a time where God's servant is in God's presence and he's trying to create perspective, God's perspective. And so Habakkuk responds with a new perspective. Why? Because we're going to see in chapter 2, God unfolds his plans and purposes with great detail and they do come to pass. Ultimately, we go into the tower to get a different perspective, a new perspective, a fresh perspective, but most importantly, a God perspective. Waiting is hard 
because God sovereignly uses time to transform his people, their thinking, and I would contend their theology. We want to think right about God, who he is, how he acts on behalf of his purposes and plans. Let's go back to Abraham and Sarah. Do you realize when God promised uh, a son, it was a 24-year wait? Two and a half decades. Abraham was 75, and Sarah became pregnant when he was 99. Folks, 24 years. Why would God put them in the waiting room so long? Well, time is one of God's most effective tools to make us like Christ. I believe what God does in us while we wait is just as important as what we are waiting for. Let me say that again. I believe what God does in us while we wait is just as important as what we're waiting for. I want to jump to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. We have a really beautiful picture of Paul in the tower, getting perspective, getting God's perspective. In Romans 8, 18, Paul wrote this. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. If you go to 2 Corinthians 11 and, of course, the book of Acts, you'll see that Paul suffered greatly. He was flogged five times by the Jews, three times by the Romans. His back must have been one big scar. He was stoned almost to the point of death in Lystra, shipwrecked, bitten by poisonous snakes, imprisoned numerous times, hated by his countrymen, hated by the Gentiles. I mean, Paul's life was hard. He suffered. But all of a sudden, he goes up into the tower... And this is a, an accountant term. He reckons, he reflects, he calculates, and he looks at all his sufferings, and then he gains perspective, God's perspective. What does he say? Man, my sufferings don't compare at all to the glories to come. Therefore, Paul was able to get perspective and keep uh, preaching Christ in him crucified. Some time ago, one of our elders, his name is Michael Bosworth, um, went up into the tower. And I remember when he came down from the tower and I saw him, I says, you know, Boz, your eyes look different. It looks like you just kind of got a new step. Well, I've invited Michael to share a little bit about that tower experience. And so uh, let's welcome Mr. Uh, Bosworth. Thanks, Keith. You bet. Um, so like Keith was saying, uh, I had the opportunity recently to take a trip that is unique. It's unlike any trip that I've taken before. And I got the idea from someone else. Uh, this person on an annual basis just takes a week away and uh, takes a time to reflect. And uh, I loved the idea. I talked to my wife about it. And um, so I found a cabin. She booked it for me as a gift. And um, I, I think my circumstances are different <laughs> from Habakkuk. Uh, but it certainly came at a point where over the last few years, uh, our family has just gone through some heavy stuff. And so it was really a timely thing for me to step away. Um, for, for me, stepping away was driving over seven hours north and, and just being north of Lake Superior, being up in the mountains, being in a cabin by myself. And um, the point of the trip was uh, 
really just to process life, to take a step back and to think through um, my faith in God, think through uh, where our marriage is at uh, between Donis and I, think through each of my kids and, and where they're at in their lives. My oldest going into middle school soon and just trying to anticipate where I need to be as a father, where we need to be as a family um, to be there for her as she makes these new transitions. Um, so all of those aspects, our careers, um, just had time to think through those things um, and really ask the questions of why. Why are we investing in, you know, fill in the blank and just to making sure that we're, as a family, moving towards the right things and not just getting um, swept away in the current of just being busy. Uh, and so it was a really, really refreshing time, really insightful time uh, for me. Uh, I'm a processor. One of the ways that I do that is through music. And so I did write a bunch of music when I, when I was up there, um, but also just took time to walk in nature. And, and I was going to share one of my God moments up there uh, about three days in. Was cooped up in the cabin quite a bit, so I just decided to start walking and uh, Something about that particular walk just took me, and I, I couldn't get enough of it. I kept walking, uh, just kept breathing the mountain air, and came to a place where I was just overwhelmed with gratitude. Uh, and it was, it was kind of like God saying, in spite of all of the, the weight that our family has carried and, and all the things that we've gone through, we're still blessed. We're so blessed to have the family that we have um, to be in the place that we are, uh, to be, you know, to use some of the imagery you were talking about, God being the catcher holding us. Um, I felt that. And uh, so, yeah, coming back from that trip, sharing it with others, including Keith, you know, there's just a comment of, wow, you know, we feel like this trip was really beneficial, that it was impactful to you. And so definitely something that I plan on doing again. Uh, we'll see when, <laughs> as far as how that works out, but... No, that's great. Thank you, Boz. Very cool. I'm going to ask Ellen to book me one of those cabins. Uh, Boz is referring to the North Shore of Minnesota, and boy, we spent nine years, ten years in Minnesota. North Shore is majestic, so I can capture uh, some of those outdoor experiences, and thank you for sharing that, my friend. So, let's follow the lead of Habakkuk. There's a tower that you have to find in your life, in your faith journey. Go up there solitude, away from the noise, from the distractions. Where is that sacred space to get a new perspective, a fresh perspective, to get God's perspective? Now finally, choice number three. Wait with a resolve to persevere. And I love this of uh, Habakkuk. Look again, if you would, to verse one. There are so many power verbs in verse one. Habakkuk says, I will stand, I will guard, I will station myself, I will watch. He is a watchman, he is a sentry, he is all in, he is diligent, he's ready to persevere and get the job done. And then in verse 4, and we're going to dedicate a whole Sunday morning to Habakkuk 2.4, we'll close the series with this, but look what he says. Look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity. He's talking now about Nebuchadnezzar and ultimately about Babylon. A lot of pride, a lot of ego. You know, their, their strength is their God. Then, the contrast, but the righteous one will live by his faith. And so, 
What a huge contrast from the, the pagan idolatry of Babylon and God's work in and through his people. This is again a recalibration of Habakkuk. The righteous in Christ, in God, live by his faith. And so I would contend, watchmen never leave their posts, but serve by faithfully persevering to the end. Psalm 25, 5, a beautiful verse. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. I love this next phrase. I will wait for you all day long. Regardless of how long it takes, count me in. I'm going to persevere. I wait for you all day long. I want to close this morning with a complimentary passage that our scripture readers shared with you earlier in the service. So let's go back to Isaiah 40, verses 28 through 31. And if you do have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there. This is one of the most beautiful passages on waiting on the Lord. But you're going to see this morning that uh, Isaiah connects waiting on the Lord to perseverance of faith. Track with me. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never grows faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the weary and strengthens the powerless. Youth may faint and grow weary. Young men may stumble and fall. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Friends, Isaiah says, when we wait on the Lord, we will persevere in one of three ways. Track with me. First, he says you will soar like an eagle. This is a magnificent picture because few birds are capable of soaring like an eagle. An eagle's wings are so strong that it is capable of catching currents and warm air and thermal winds without moving a feather. It allows them to majestically soar to great heights at speeds of up to 80 miles an hour. Some of you right now are soaring spiritually. Thank God for that. You're praying. You have an intimate, quiet time. You're in the Word, memorizing the Word. You're experiencing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control in your own life, your marriage, your family, even during this time of quarantine and, and social distancing. You're overcoming the temptations that used to be a weight and set you back. You're soaring. And it's a beautiful time in your faith journey. Thank God for times of soaring. Rejoice in that. Secondly, in addition, there are some who will run and not grow weary. Some of you are running right now. And running is harder than soaring. It takes more effort. It takes more diligence. I want to encourage you with a few things. Keep running. Paul talks about finishing the race. Keep running, and don't compare yourself to those who are soaring. There's no value in that. Yes, running's hard work, but God gives strength. Hebrews 12 says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and now seated at the right hand of the Father. He persevered. He ran to the end. 
Fix your eyes on Jesus. And then finally, you will walk and not faint. Some of you right now are not soaring or running, but you're simply walking. And walking is the best you can do right now. And can I encourage you? That is okay. Maybe doubt, loss, loneliness, fatigue, confusion, discouragement, or depression has set in, and the best you can do is walk. Keep walking. Keep looking to Jesus. And again, don't worry so much about those who may be soaring or those who are running. Walking at this time for you might be good enough. And to encourage you folks, when you look at the life of Jesus, I see some times where he soared. He soared with wings like eagles. Can you imagine what it would have been like to bring Lazarus forth from the grave? That's a soaring experience. Or to be transfigured before Peter, James, and John and demonstrate his glory. But there were times where Jesus ran, and it was harder. I think a lot when he was mentoring the guys and, and, and discipling these men, and they just didn't get it. Oh, ye of little faith. But then every now and then there's that aha moment. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Christ ran hard with these guys. He poured into them. But then there was a few times that he walked where his heart was broken, he wept over Jerusalem. When he was in Gethsemane, oh, he sweat drops of blood for you and me. Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass. On Calvary, hung there, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And those were times, even in Jesus' life, the best he can do was walk. And so regardless, if you're running, walking, or soaring, Keep going. Persevere to the end. And I would contend there was no one more uh, committed to uh, being intimate, to waiting on his father than Jesus was. Let's take our example from him. I want to come back to where I began. When God sovereignly chose to break my leg, everything for four months seemed to come to a standstill. I was in a waiting room, but all of a sudden, direction was given, a perspective, a God perspective, and the whole course of my life changed, folks. I wound up in Philadelphia, going to Bible school, doing inner city ministry, and the call of God was clarified in my life, and it simply was this, to pastor in local church and, and really uh, uh, prioritize kingdom work Acts 1.8, being witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, making sure missions is front and center because God is a missionary God. Now, I often thought, I says, God, you didn't have to break my leg to get my attention, did you? And I could see him kind of looking down, smiling, saying, I, I wish I didn't have to. He broke it to put me in the waiting room to redirect the last uh, 35 years of my life, and I I am so thankful. Learning to wait on the Lord is a spiritual discipline, and it is difficult. And yet Habakkuk uh, invites us to, to do it and enjoy it, waiting patiently, trusting God, getting a new perspective up in the tower. And then, oh, this privilege to persevere, whether we're walking, running, or soaring, we can persevere to the end. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you. 
What a privilege to wait on the Lord. And yes, Father, we declare it's hard work. We see that in Scripture. But boy, the enormous fruit that results. Thank you for our brother Michael Bosworth, his story. And thank you that that story can be repeated many, many times when we wait on you. So, Father, for those who are just walking right now, give them strength. For those who are running, help them to fix their eyes on Jesus. Help them to keep going. For those who are soaring, may they bless you and thank you for that. So, Father, today we just say we trust you. Thank you for your perspective that you see the end from the beginning. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.